Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenman and Mullen, a podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. Myself and Sam have been reminiscing. I've been reminiscing about a fantastic era, the entertainers. And why have we been reminiscing about the entertainers, you might ask? It's because we're talking to the man behind the documentary on Sky Sports. It is Sky Sports reporter Greg Whelan that we've just spoken to. Um, top, top bloke, just to start. Things oh. off. Unreal, unreal insight into the making of the programme or the documentary, I should say, and why the emotion for him was so important to get out to the people. And um, Sam, fantastic stuff, really. Yeah, I love this documentary that um, that Greg did uh, on Sky Sports. Um, it's on my, it's saved on my Skybox to this day, and it, it won't be going anywhere because it's always nice to go back and look at these things on what was a very special time, and it was that era is the reason why I'm here now. That, that that's why I I'm a Newcastle fan, and it, it encapsulated the emotion of it perfectly. It really did. It really, really did. And look, I, I admit I was. Born halfway through the entertainer era. I was born in May 94. So I thought you said I, you were bored. I was like, what? No, no. <laughs> I was born I was born in May 1994. So Newcastle obviously we'd been in the Premier League for two uh two, no, just the first season, because obviously oh, they got yeah. promoted in yeah, promoted in nineteen ninety-three. Um their first season in the Premier League, Newcastle did pretty well. I think they finished third. Is it third ninety three? Yeah, third. Successful, most successful promoted team to date. So when you hear um, all this crap on Sky Sports or uh, other media outlets, sorry, Sky Sports are lovely. Hi, Greg. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, like that when they say, like, remember when they were saying, like, Wolves were the best ever promoted team, Leeds were the best ever promoted team. No, not even close. The only thing I will add, just in case there is a Nottingham Forest fan listening, Nottingham Forest did finish third when they got promoted one season. So we are joint with Nottingham Forest, but I don't even know who was in that team. So there you go. So Newcastle probably is a little bit better. But I've talked about, he talks about the word emotion a lot. And you look at the players and the manager and the owner at the time, a very emotive manager, one of the best, if not the, maybe some would argue the best Newcastle manager of the modern era. And we talk about the nearly moments, obviously Liverpool 4, Newcastle 3, Manchester United, we have to mention, obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson, Peter Schmeichel, Eric Cantona, but I still think this team was everybody's second team in that era, and I wasn't even really born at that time. I was obviously just, I was, only, I was, in, I was in that, to say the least. So I, from an outside, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Sam, for someone that lives not doesn't live in the area, were Newcastle everybody's second team when that was coming about? Tricky to say because I was only like six at the time, but I, I look back and like that's that's the impression I got from when you're watching television or it, it was a team to really get excited about. I mean, most of the, the guys and girls I went to school with were Villa and Wolves because of where I li- I'm from and obviously Man United because I'm anywhere other than Manchester. So, <laughs> you know, but I, I was I was certainly the only Newcastle fan in my year. But that, that again, that that stemmed so organically because it was Kevin's charisma, the team, the 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 brand of football they played, and that really set alight. Uh, you know, a four, five, six year old's imagination to to get into football, and and that's the thing for me. So. It was just a fantastic time combined with the 90s, just a, a cultural thing in, in this country as well. It was just, it was just, it was just the best. It is. It was fantastic. Just a big thanks to our sponsor, BF52, www.bf52.com forward slash NFTV for eight cans of any IPA stouts or lager for £5.95, which is the price of package and posting. Um, Greg has been on with Sky Sports for a considerable amount of years now. and. He's been working on the Premier League for the last 10 years, so he's seen Newcastle, the good days, the bad days, the mediocre days. But he, he talks about his feelings for the Premier League, his feelings while working for Sky, some good and tricky moments with managers. So it's, not, it's one not to be missed. But um, obviously the Newcastle aspect, Sam, it is what we're here for. And I, I had a, almost like he had a small... He's not a Newcastle fan, but almost feel like he had a small part of it in his heart almost because he wanted to try and make sure he'd done it well as if he was a Newcastle fan. 
Yeah, um, it's like you were saying before, the, the the emotion and that being everyone's second team and like the the characters involved in the in the story. So I think that's why um, that that draws here, uh, Greg and, and many many others towards that team. Hundred percent. Well, let's get the show on the road. So it is the Greenwood and Morning Show with Greg Whelan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, we are joined by a man who is synonymous with Sky Sports as a main reporter. But for Newcastle fans, he is the man behind the documentary, The Entertainers. It is a big welcome to Greg Wee and Greg. Welcome to the Greenwood and Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Thanks very much indeed. Pleased to be here. Sam, The Entertainers is your era. It, yes. I, it's slightly before mine, which I'm insanely jealous of. But why did you want to get Greg on? Oh, just for, I, I love reminiscing because, as you know, Johnny, there's not a lot of fun to be, be have, had at the moment with, with Newcastle. The club doesn't love you back. And the entertainers, that era, the club did love you back. And, and Greg, what I want to know is um, why, why now do the documentary on the entertainers mm. and, and how did it all come about? Okay, I'll try and uh, I'll try and put a long story a bit shorter. Um, initially, I was thinking about this. I go back ten years, and one of my producers, because I do you know, sort of regular features for the live games and so on down the years, one of my producers um, wanted me to do a piece on the four three game. This was back in what twenty eleven, whenever that game was live in twenty eleven. And he said, just do it from Newcastle's perspective. I don't care about the Liverpool side of things. Can we do it with three or four of the Newcastle team only? And I thought, well, that's different. We'll do that. So we got three or four of the players together, put this sort of usual four, four and a half minute thing together. And I loved the story. And other people did. My son, even, who's a big football fan, loved the story. And it, that was the start point. That From there on, I was always had that, that thing in my head about the Newcastle experience. Now, I'm old enough, sadly, to remember it uh, and my perspective on it and so on. And I suppose that brought it all back. That made me think about that as a story again and think, I want to do that again, but I want to do it better and I want to do it longer and I want to do the, the whole story, not just the 4-3, because everybody here, yeah, the 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, but it's a much, much bigger story than that, of course. So that was the start point. Um, and then I thought about, well, when did it become a bit more? It was a couple of years ago. I was doing. We were doing something on on Man City, where if you remember when they were down in the, you know what is now League One, down in the third tier. What a, what a counterpoint to what they are now, etc., etc., etc. And yes, we've got the archive. So we made a thing on that. And no sooner was I up to my neck in that, and I thought, you know what would be brilliant? Newcastle the Entertainers done this way, where we mine the archive at Sky and put something like that together. So that was really it. And no sooner had I got. That we got the Newcastle, sorry, the, the Man City thing up and running, uh, the 1999 story, was this was the next thing I wanted to do. Why now? Uh, why this? Why the season gone? Because it was 25 years of the 4-3, which is a good peg for my bosses at Sky, let's face it, and 25 <laughs> years of the 95-96 season. So for that reason, the pressure was then on. I thought, well, if you're going to do this, if I'm going to persuade people I work for to do the thing, it's going to have to be now because there'll never be a better time. And it was a good counterpoint to Newcastle, who could have gone, if you go back a year, to people like me, Newcastle could have gone one of two ways, couldn't they? They could have been the subject of a takeover, new money coming in, new investment, maybe a new opportunity for Newcastle to, to really push on, like in the 90s under Sir John Hall and co. Or it would be a counterpoint to the fact that Newcastle were not doing that. Either way, it was going to work in my mind. So that's why, that's why we did it when we did it. When you look at that team, uh, Greg, and you, and you look at the entertainers and the rise and the journey, does that appeal to you as well? Because you talk about the Manchester City version of it and the, their, their journey to where they are. Is it that similarity that really intrigued you? Uh, yes, I, I think it's, it's 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 one of those unique stories. I mean, I mean, from a personal point of view, I I love stories. This this is me. I'm afraid I love stories like Holland in '74, like the Hungarian side of the early 50s, terrific teams, hugely entertaining teams who didn't necessarily win, but everybody loved them. And, uh, you know, if you want to get too deep into this, football is about entertainment and these teams entertained. These teams entertained everybody and that's what football's all about. There are some people 
in, our, in, in football, some people in my line of business who think it's all about winning. Well, it isn't. It's about entertaining because that's what football is. And these teams didn't win, but by God, everyone's been talking about them ever since, be it Holland in 74 or, yes, Newcastle in the mid-90s. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to just to win something, just just once. Something, <laughs> yeah. just anything. I'd have even have taken the charity shield, but we lost four 0 But then, there you go. <laughs> I mean, the documentary, uh, Greg, filled me with like joy, and then kind of a tinge of sadness, as I say, because yes. yeah. it, we just never managed to to get over the line. Um, I mean. Yeah, it's, I still yeah. wake up in the middle of the night about just the Peter Schmeichel uh, one nil at St sure. James Park. I mean, how hard was it though to to? I'm, I imagine it'd be pretty easy to convince these these players of old, uh, the Newcastle lads. To it, it, it was, I have to say, it, it was actually. I have to be honest with you. Um, once once it was like we're going to do this, I had a idea in my mind who I wanted to speak to. I already knew that because of a number of different limitations it needed to be a half hour by god i wish it could have been a bit longer but yeah. what with covid what with all sorts of things there it was if you're going to do this at all it's going to have to be half an hour get it done so um and believe you me that takes long enough uh, uh, um, so with all of that i had in my mind who i wanted to speak to roughly give or take and went after them and yes i found the reaction very positive and very quick uh, people were coming back to me and and we had what was it seven interviews done in in a month, I think, basically. So, which is pretty, which is pretty good going. And what we were pleased from, just from a technical point of view, is all of those interviews we did in person, socially distancing, of course, but in person at a time when you know so much stuff is on Zoom, so much stuff has to be done in a, in a certain way. That we were delighted to be able to do it in, if you like, the traditional way, face to face, because that is still the best way to do an interview with someone to get the emotion, to get how they feel, and so on and so forth. So that that for me was a was a was a massive plus. And yes, they they were all looking back. They were all happy happy to do it. And I think with the passage of time, even happier to do it. One or two of us, certainly, certainly one I can think of. I asked him ten years ago, would he do it then? He wasn't so keen, but this time he was straight in there. Yep, yeah, I'm up for this. So, uh, so yeah. One of the most important people in this journey is Sir John Hall, and I found certainly. it quite fascinating. I found it quite fascinating um, when you when you spoke to him about his opinions and his thoughts about that whole era, and. Mm. Without him, this would never have happened. This story would never have happened. Do you think we'll ever see the like of a Sir John Hall in football again? He doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) He certainly doesn't. He made no bones about it. I mean, we we, we weren't able to use it in the piece. But he made no bones about the fact that he felt his era was then. And as soon as it had, not as soon as, but, but, you know, no sooner, if you like, had it come along, in, uh, in that period, he he was an owner for that time in the Premier League, if you will. And he said more than once, he said, once, you know, Abramovich had come along, someone like him was out of the game, just couldn't, could no longer compete. And when you think back, don't you, he wasn't alone in that in that Premier League era. You had Sir Jack Hayward, OK, Wolvesworth did the Premier League at the time. You had um, the situation at Blackburn as well. This was this was a this was a moment in time, wasn't it really? And Sir John was very much part of that. But it was only going to last for so long as we've seen. I mean it comes to something where a chairman such as Sir John Hall, who's broken the world transfer record, then yeah. says some someone like Abramovich has actually just kicked him out of the game. It, it's yeah. just crazy yeah. how football's evolved yeah. since that time, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, but you remember, I mean, you can remember the impact, don't you, that Abramovich had when he came. Yeah. It blew us all out of the water, even as fans. It was, I mean, I can remember, I can, I can remember going back to 2003, the headline after headline after headline of signings that were more than Alan Shearer on a weekly basis by then. I mean, I mean, yes, Sir John, they spent, what, 60 million, as he said. It was a hell of a lot of money for the early mid-90s. But Abramovich came along and spent twice that in one summer. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And obviously the, the money has just escalated and escalated. But mm. going back into the 90s, obviously the, the big boom of the Premier League and Sky Sports mm. and everything about it, it's just that the whole thing just kind of contributed to make 
Newcastle more exciting. You know, it's on main TV and it, it, it looks really, really good. But the mm. one man, obviously, who is holds really synonymous with this is Kevin Keegan. And mm-hmm. obviously the famous, I, I love it, and the Sir Alex Ferguson mm. rivalry. I felt like you mm. touched upon that Sir Alex Ferguson rivalry very, very well because obviously you mm-hmm. then both battling out for the title. It almost reminds me mm. a little bit like a bit like Klopp Guardiola now, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Maybe just not, not as um, British, but it still works. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it was it was again of that time, wasn't it? And 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 you know, the thing about the the I love it thing is that was Kevin Keegan, and that's why I love um, Les Ferdinand saying in 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 the piece talking about her. But we yes, people saw that as a sign of weakness. Da, 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 da. But we knew Kevin. We knew Kevin. We knew our manager. That's what we signed up to, and he was just being him. And you know, you know, God, it's it's a much talked about thing, isn't it? But the passion of Kevin and the personality of Kevin Keegan drove that entire vehicle, the snowball, as Steve Howie calls it, calls it. Kevin Keegan drove that. And there was another example of that man's passion and personality to get Newcastle where they were. Yeah, he didn't win, but he got damn close and he drove it. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I think as well, I mean, he inspired a whole new generation of Newcastle fans, me included. Because Sure. I was a young lad and in, in, I'm still in the Midlands now and none of my family were into football. So it was Kevin Keegan and that passion yeah. and, and charisma that, that just kind of honed me into supporting that team who played amazing football, might I add, but yeah. 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 obviously just came up short. Was it abundantly clear when speaking to the likes of Sir John and um, Howie and, and Celez just how important Kevin Keegan was and if it was anyone else, it might not have happened? Hundred percent, one hundred percent, and because obviously we Kevin was not in the feature, it was important that we got that across from everyone else. And let's be honest, I mean, I've done a few of these by now. Some of the best pieces are other people talking about the subject. That's where you get the best stories. That's where you get the emotion, the personality, and of an individual really coming across. And that was that was that was completely evident with that. And that 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 was a key thing that we were trying to include in the feature all the way along was people's perceptions of Kevin and his importance to the whole thing. I was going to say one of the main uh, elements of Kevin Keegan being so upfront and honest with the supporters is when Andy Cole mm. was sold to Manchester United. Mm. Sure. Now, would sure. you ever, now would you ever see a manager nowadays on the, basically on the door to the fans going, this is the reason why I'm deciding to sell my best striker because I'm bringing somebody else in and rebuilding the club. You just would not see it happening these days. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't be allowed to happen, would it? Uh, I was. I was going to say 100. I would agree with you. Then the then the words Jurgen and Klopp just fell into my head. For a <laughs> but but realis- realistically, no, I don't think so because Kevin Kevin was unique uh, and that passion and that umf- upfront nature that he had. Uh, I must tell you something very quickly, as both fans of Kevin as you are. I was at a charity game on Sunday in the Midlands, and he was there managing one of the teams. And he hadn't changed. And his rapport with people, and there was a, you know, there was a good, I don't know how many there were, a couple of thousand there, basically. His rapport with people was amazing, just like it always was. That, that ability he had to connect with people. Not with microphones, not with cameras, not with all that sort of thing, just with the people who were there. And that is actually one of the memories I'll take away from being at that game on Sunday, was what he was like with people. And they'd joke with him and they'd say, oh, you know, I'd love it this and I'd love it that. And he was that fine. Photographs with everyone, big smiles on his face. Amazing. That was him. That's him now. That was him then. Did you approach him to be involved in the documentary or was it a case, as you said earlier, that you wanted it just to be people talking about him because it come across a bit more powerful no we did approach him um he i had a i had a very good conversation with him uh during which he made clear he probably preferred not to be involved and that he thought some of the other people that were involved would would tell the story um he's in that position of probably having turned down similar requests in the past as you can imagine 
And once you've done that, it's very difficult to then say yes to one particular broadcaster or one particular platform. So um, the conversation was very good. It was very positive. We spoke about the era. He was actually quite helpful in, 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 in you know, perhaps alerting, to, alerting me to one or two things that I could pursue or, or feature or focus on and that kind of thing, which was good. But, but he was quite clear in his own mind that he, he, didn't, he didn't feel the need to be involved himself. But I was pleased that I'd had the opportunity to put it to him and, and establish that at an early stage. I think as well, every player that you did obviously speak to, they all kind of had the same opinion for why Newcastle just didn't get over the line. And why Newcastle were in Premier League champions, and why ultimately, and it kills me to yeah. say this, Manchester United were. And um, mm. can you still? Could you still feel the pain in their voices? Because I think it's definitely as, as, every, <laughs> as every as every Newcastle fan who have watched this documentary, and me and Sam included, we were just like, if only Eric Cantona and Peter Schmeichel weren't at Man, at Man United at that time. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and I, I remember it myself. I'm not, I'm not a Newcastle fan, but I'm a football fan, and I and a lot of my colleagues, I should add, a lot of my colleagues were willing Newcastle to win that season because of the kind of of, of story that it was. Yes, there is still a lot of pain. I, I wanted to try and end the thing in the way that said, okay, they didn't win, but what entertainment they gave. You know what? Listen, the, part of the point of it was this is a team that didn't win, and a quarter of a century later, people still talk about them. You know, how many teams don't win, get that, basically. And I would put it to them and say, look, you know, look what you did do. And and they would agree. And you saw some of the quotes in the piece towards the end. But there was also, oh, God, if they had won the thing, you know. Oh, <laughs> but, but if we'd have won the thing, you know, which, which, which is lovely. But at the same time, I wanted to convey that it wasn't just about, it wasn't just about fail, failure. Yes, you can call it glorious failure, which is more than failure. You know, there is because it left a mark. It left a mark on Newcastle fans. You, you say yourself, Sam, you're a Midlander. Now, yeah. you go all over the UK, you go all over England, you will bump into a Newcastle fan and you think, well, he's been nowhere near Newcastle in his life. <laughs> That's why he's a Newcastle fan, because of that team and what they did do. And yes, to a limited extent, what they didn't do as well. 100%. And, and that it does that in the documentary. As I said earlier, it was filled with joy and then kind of the stuffing gets knocked out of you again because the memories of not yeah. winning. But then, and then it was, the it was about the emotion. It was it was all about the yeah. emotion. It was an emotional ride. We 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 sold it to ourselves when we were making the thing. This needs to be a roller coaster ride. That's yeah. why the music was so important. You can't do that without them because the music drives the emotion of it, the ups and the downs. You you have to, the music is an important vehicle in there to say this is no more than that. It's a football story and it's a journey. It's a ride basically. Yeah, and as well, at the end, you'd, I'd just find myself going, oh, if only we could get half of that back again. Just I know, half I know. of that back again. I know. Because, and then the thing is, as well, as you touched upon there, like the 90s was such a just a brilliant time, like culturally mm. as well. And, and of course, like the Euros going on at the moment, we had Euro 96 yeah. in the middle of that as well. So yeah. you had glorious yeah. failure there as well. So it was, yeah. it was just a complete... Kind of, but it was exciting. It was exciting. Oh. It was. It was. A, it was. A, it was a period in football. A period in our lives, but it was a period in football, which was which was exciting. I dare. I don't want to say uniquely so, but it was of its time, wasn't it? And our, our experiences will all be slightly different, obviously. But we all have those sort of common points there. Euro '96, the battle for the title, which was probably one of the best battles for the title we'd seen in that era as well. It wasn't just any old team winning by ten points and all over by April, was it? Let's be honest. When you look at all the pieces that you've done, Greg, where does this mm. one rank? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's special for me because it was one that was so long in the making in my own head. Um, and unfortunately, if you're people like me, that, that it sort of it sort of eats away at you. Get it done. Get it done. Will you ever get it done? And you'll regret it if you don't. Kind of thing. Which was which was one of the reasons why it got made when it did because I feared that, that I feared for a number of reasons it may never get done. So so and thereby thereby COVID was an uh, oh, I don't want to say COVID was an advantage in any way shape or form but it gave us the opportunity the circumstances gave us the opportunity to say well we're not making anything else we're going to make this now and and we're, we're allowed to do so so in that respect it was an enormous sort of satisfaction to get over the line with the idea um, I love it because I love the story personally 
And I love it because it's a story that is filled with emotion. And that's my kind of story, I suppose. I can think of others that I would like to tell, but they wouldn't appeal to me in the same way because they wouldn't be the same kind of story and they wouldn't necessarily have that level of emotion. Uh, I, I am, I am a, 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 what's the word? A sucker, I suppose, for those teams that maybe don't win, but leave a lasting impression on people. Like Newcastle, like the Dutch team at Cruyff and Co., that kind of story. That's my kind of story. So in that respect, it's it's got to be up there, yes. Is it something that you prefer doing the documentary filmmaking as opposed to pre- and post-match interviews with grumpy family <laughs> managers? <laughs> two, two very different sides of the job entirely. Um, they... Uh, I like both. Diplomatic answer. Oh, I love doing both. Uh, they're very different. Um, I think. I think the best thing I can say is it's important to have the two together. I. I love the involvement of the matches. I love the involvement of 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 uh, indeed of 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 being there, of having the opportunity to interview players and managers, particularly when there's a real story behind it. Uh, a good story. I, I can give you one example, actually, because I thought you might ask this question. When you have the opportunity to interview a player after they've done something special, back end of last season, young lad, old Nathan Teller at Southampton, been on the scene a little bit, been pushed forward by his manager, said, this this lad will come good for us. Da, 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 da. And he goes and scores his first Premier League goal against Fulham. And we interview him straight off, straight after the final whistle, and you can just see it in his eyes. You can just see it in his eyes what it means to him. And it almost doesn't matter what he says. He spoke very well, I have to say. But it's the emotion of that. We're back to emotion again. That's what really inspires. That's makes you. That's what makes you want to do it when you get that situation. Please excuse the washing machine. Um, <laughs> you know the, the, the Liverpool keeper, Alisson, after he scored the header against West Brom? colleague of mine did that interview. And I know for a fact that that's one of the reasons why he says, I want to do this, for having been able to speak to Alison off the back of that moment and seeing what it meant. And you probably saw the interview, what it meant to that player at that moment, all the emotion and everything that happened in his background back in, in Brazil and so on. What a, what a moment for him. To have that opportunity is what is, what is that's, that's the juice of that side of it, basically. And then you have to put up with the odd grumpy manager then along the way. When you're at a match, what is your plan in terms of the interview? I know you can't predict your questions because every match is different. Sure. What do you have you're, in the back of your mind? You're, you're always, like, obviously, depending on who it is you're speaking to. Let's say you're speaking to a manager. Um, let's say you're speaking to a manager that ultimately doesn't get the result he, he wants. Then you're looking to try and ask, you know, where obviously he thinks it didn't work out, why it didn't work out, what he might have changed what he tried to change, maybe they're losing at half time and he was looking to sort of, okay, obviously there needs to be a plan for this and try and get those sides. So trying trying to do it as best as best as one can, trying to do it from their perspective. How would how would they have seen it? It's difficult when obviously you've not been a manager or a player of, uh, of any sort, but it, that's the kind of, that's the kind of approach. And then as, so as the story uh, uh, develops as the story unfolds. That's where you go. That's what you're thinking. What might that manager be thinking now? He put those two subs on on 60 minutes. Why? What was he trying to change? All that kind of thing. So as it isn't all about, it isn't just about, well, why did it all go wrong for you today? It's why, how did you try and address it? What went wrong for you today that you must address next time around? That kind of thing is sort of where you, your mind is trained to work after a while with it depending with, on your subject matter of course of course with that, with that train of thought has that helped you kind of avoid any rollickings over the years off camera no. from the <laughs> <laughs> no everyone gets it it's just it's just it's just part and parcel basically uh, what i would what i would say is and you'll be well aware of this because you've watched enough interviews in this day and age yes there were exceptions of course but in this day and age we have a very um cosmopolitan set of managers in the premier league and a lot of the foreign managers, they're very well versed in doing interviews. They're used to it, honestly. Some of the the, the, the sheer volume of interviews they might do in La Liga in Spain or somewhere is, is incredible. So they're just used to it, and therefore they tend to just da 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 so on, and and and, and rather trot it out. I think back to the early days. I used to work on the Championship 
10, 15 years ago. And that could be more difficult sometimes because you were dealing with managers, say, who weren't so used to it, who were taking it rather personally and would, if not on camera, perhaps off camera, let you know what they felt about it. And you just, you learn as you go what things perhaps you think, okay, I'm going to get it for this, but it needs to be asked. Or maybe I should have asked that a different way or whatever. You know, this, 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 that's the experience of it, I suppose, isn't it? You talk about managers that are used to interviews. Obviously, your Pep Guardiola's, Jurgen Klopp's, your Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's mm. at the minute are probably getting so many interviews a day when the Premier League's, when the Premier yeah. League's on. Um, is that more of a challenge for you, though? Do you have to kind of expect that? Well, yes, they've been doing so many interviews, but it's actually my challenge as a reporter to get something yes. different. That's right. It is to a certain extent, or at least at least to try and get them to, to answer the question that you feel needs to be needs to be put to them. Um, you know, what, like why hasn't that worked out to you today? Or are you, how are you concerned that your star striker, you know, is not scoring at the moment? That kind of thing. And they might come out with one thing or another. And sometimes you may think, well, I'm going to ask that question again, and I'll try and ask it in a different way and see if it works. If, if at the end of the day you can see that they're answering it by not answering it, there's only so far you can go. There's only so long we've got with them. After all, we can't do a Paxman and have them for 15 minutes until they answer the question. <laughs> but you have to play within that. You have to you have to work within those parameters at the end of the day, um, and each manager is different. And one of the I suppose one of the challenges, one of the things that you need to do, is to is to get a sense of their personality a little, you know, particularly with a new one. A new one comes in, and you think, oh, okay, what are they like? I interviewed Thomas Tuchel only for the first time at the back end of last season. I hadn't done any Chelsea games for a while. And and that was and I knew that was because I didn't you know I'd seen interviews with them, but I hadn't done one of my own before and you need to have that experience to say okay that's what he's like that's how he might react that's that's what's in his eyes when you ask him a bit of a negative question or something like that you have to sort of go through that to get a sense of a little sense of who they are in that context anyway. Do you have a favourite manager from down the years because you know that you just click with him and he's going to give you what you want? What you want? I don't. I don't know. I don't know for that reason. I. I, I mean, it's very difficult here and now not to. Okay, they're not always. They're not always enjoyable experiences. But to interview a Klopp or a Guardiola is special in the sense that of, because of their personalities and the intensity. I mean, they're different people, but they share that intensity. That, that that passion, that that drive, so that when you're interviewing them, knowing that, it can be quite rewarding, even if necessarily, even if in that situation it's not a great interview or they're fed up or something like that because they've got beaten. But then, even then, sometimes, particularly with Klopp, if he's fed up, it's when he gives his best interviews because yeah. it comes out, that emotion, that that, that frustration is, is coming out because he doesn't hide that, does he? Let's face it. And even then, it can be quite sort of, I don't want to say satisfying, but there's some reward in it in seeing, okay, I think what we've shown is how they feel. Because that's as important. I mean, look, we've all heard of, we've all heard a thousand of these interviews saying much the same thing, but sometimes it's not what they say, it's how they're saying it. And as a fan of that club, that's also important to you. What's he is he frustrated? Is he does he seem determined to sort all this out next week when we play so and so? That kind of thing, you know. Um the, sh- the short films that Sam mentioned before that you do maybe before the game and I, I, yeah. particularly in like Super Sunday, I, I feel like there's yeah. always something between like one and a half one. There's like that five minute element. And yeah. a couple that I that I saw when I was researching was the Brian Dean, the first Premier League goal and the Crystal Palace oh, yeah. right, the rivalry. There were a couple of examples because um, the reason why I bring them up because we, we interviewed Gabriel Clark at, at, well, a few months ago now um, okay. and, he obviously, and he does he does stuff similar with ITV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, very good, yeah. I was just going to say, how much thought goes into this when you know that like you say you had half an hour with the Newcastle, the entertainers one, when you've got something, I yeah. say, maybe four and a half minutes, five minutes, how much pressure is there to get it right or to get as right as you can? Oh, de- well, definitely, definitely. I think there's there's pressure to get it as right as you can. And also, because you're dealing with a limited space, you're dealing with, say, three and a half minutes, four minutes, whatever it might be, the challenge there is to say what you feel needs to be said in that in that space, and perhaps perhaps one of the things I learned when I came on to to, to work doing these for the Premier League is what could you justify being in there? So if you, let's say in an ideal world you make something and it's seven minutes long. Well, that's much too long. Okay, what do I 
what do I take out? Because at the end of the day, that wasn't important. What do I justify being in there that will still tell the essence of that story? And that's that's that discipline is important in it, definitely. In terms of in terms of the sort of the preparation goes into it. I mean, the Brighton one is a case in point. I, I, that took a while. That took a while for precisely for precisely the reasons you've said, because it's not a simple story to tell. It isn't a geographical story. It isn't just two teams in the same city. It isn't Newcastle Sunderland. It's it's. I mean, it's an unusual situation. So you've got to get to the bottom of it and and get that over as best you can, especially when it dates from an era, the 1970s, that you can't show in pictures in the same way as you might do something more recently. You need headlines. You need bits and pieces. You need. Uh, it's a bit more of a jigsaw puzzle, and it takes time. That's the that, that's the reward of doing that kind of thing. It's a challenge to say, can I show why Brighton and Crystal Palace don't like each other very much in three and a half minutes? That's your challenge. Um, I, that, that is one I enjoyed, I have to say, for that reason, because a lot of people said, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realise that. And then you think, oh, I didn't. I've done, I didn't. <laughs> done something right. You know, I did one in Newcastle, Sunderland, actually, a few years ago, which I enjoyed immensely because it went into the whole, the shipbuilding and the, the rivalry between, you know, the mining and the shipbuilding and all that kind of thing. It was that, that, again, was a really rewarding one. Why? Because it got away from the football. It was a story that wasn't just about football. It was about two cities next door to each other, but there's much more to it than that. It isn't just because they're next door to each other and they play each other a lot. You know, there's there's so much more. Those, And I, I love all of that. I love being able to take a football story and, and maybe branch out a little bit and see. Liverpool, Manchester United is another one. Yes, it's a, yes, it's about the football, but there's more to it than that as well. Absolutely. I mean, Newcastle and Sunderland don't really play each other much these days. No. But, uh, <laughs> three next season, they say. It's true. It's true. That, was te- that was 10 years ago, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But, um, is there a, like a particular character or a, a, a kind of rivalry that you've got your eye on that you haven't been able to make a documentary about yet and that's that's maybe in the pipeline in, you know, in a year or two? Perhaps? Well... Mm, that's good. That is a good question. There is one, it's probably more than one, but one that does spring to mind that maybe we'll get the opportunity to do one day, not, not next season, certainly. It's West Brom and Villa. Mm. It's not the traditional rivalry that you think. You think West Brom Wolves and you think Villa Birmingham, of course. But West Brom Villa, if you want to go back that far and get really Victorian on it, had a big rivalry because they're actually the two clubs that in the West Midlands, which is, which is my, my part of the world, are the two which are closest together. And so you've got all sorts of links there between the two back in the sort of Victorian Edwardian period. You know, why are West Brom called the Baggies? Because Villa fans christened them that for a particular reason. You know, this, this kind of stuff. And we've never told that one. And I like that idea because it isn't obvious. Because people are going, Villa, West Brom, nah, why are we doing the one on that? Well, this is why. This is why we care. This is why, actually, once upon a time. And, of course, there were two big, dare I say it, two big clubs in that part of the world in their time. So... Um, that's probably one. There isn't another one that immediately springs to mind, though I'm sure someone will someone will have a good idea as the season progresses. Oh, definitely. There's always a story in the Premier League, hundred um, percent. Brentford will be a good one. Brentford will be a good story yeah. this time. That's Very one. That, that's so. they, they will bring they will bring something new, and and that's always rewarding when 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 that happens. When you've got someone in that situation and people, are, who are they? What are they? You know, how different a story that is to say Leeds who came back as a big club and it was like, well, you know, it's been too long. Welcome back, Leeds. What can you offer? Plenty, as it turns out. Brentford would be a much more unknown quantity, but a good story for that, I think. 100%. Completely agree with that. Um, who are your role models, Greg, when you were trying to get into this industry? Who did you look up to when you wanted to, say, as a junior, looking up, up to a certain person when trying to get into this industry? Well, funnily enough... When I when I started out, I wanted to be in newspapers. I was I was writing newspapers. I had a I had a job. Um, I was a freelancer on the Evening Standard in London, and I loved it. And I didn't see at the time. I didn't see a life beyond that. And I, I rather sort of fell into TV, if I'm honest. Um, I was freelancing in TV, the BBC at the time, and then an opportunity came up at Sky. And it was a bit of a sort of crossroads time. So okay, we'll go for it. And 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 I've been there ever since. But it wasn't as if I had sort of, if you will, TV role models. Uh, certainly not then. I mean, since, I think I think everyone, well, I'd be surprised if not everyone, 
looks up to the work that Gabriel does at ITV, certainly. Um, I think he's, I think over the years, he's been head and shoulders over everything else, anything else, to be honest, both long form and the shorter form stuff. I don't, don't really, too many others, because it's not a big field. There isn't a great deal of people doing this kind of thing. I think, to be fair, there's more now, I think, with, with documentaries being as popular as they suddenly are football sports documentaries i think you're going to see that a lot more but um it's not as if there's been a lot of role models going back over 15 20 years to say i want to do that if, if i had to say someone i'd say gabriel clark yes yeah uh, guy's a genius isn't he um when when you look at um like your colleagues in the industry now i, I mean i'll ask this a couple of to our guests, a couple of our guests here that are in your field greg but is, was there a moment or a post-match interview or even a, a documentary subject which you think, oh, I wish I'd got there first or I wish I was on that game? <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly, undoubtedly. We we did, uh, I and colleagues worked on a, uh, without saying too much, we worked on a, we were working on a story about the Irish football team under Jack Charlton. Yeah. And we put quite a bit of time and effort into that. This is nothing to do with Sky. This is an outside, an outside thing. And then finding Jack Charlton came along. Um, so it was like, okay, well, all right. If we're if we're ever going to explore that story, we're going to have to find a different way of doing it. Which 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 we might we we may yet do. I mean, it's not gone away. It's just how, perhaps we have to look at it a different way now. So maybe that was one because we'd spent a bit of time trying to make that happen when we did. I can't immediately think of another one. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, there's so, there are so many documentaries coming along now, aren't there? It's, it's a it's a rich it's a rich field all of a sudden for it. Um, and I think no sooner had you thought, you know what, Bill Shankly might. Oh no, someone's done a piece on Bill Shankly. Mm, <laughs> oh, okay. What about Matt Busby? Oh no, that's done as well. Um, and 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 I, I'd be shocked if anybody could find a new angle on George Best by now. So. Um, Although I did see the one, the recent one, and I did think it was it was good for what it was trying to do. So, so no, but I think inevitably something will come along and disappoint me soon. <laughs> um, Craig, we'll can see, I have you? We'll see. Yeah, definitely, we'll definitely see. Um, can I just ask about your memories of going up to St James's in Newcastle United, and not necessarily the post-match interviews you've done with managers mm-hmm. down the years, but just more the actual mm-hmm. experience itself and. What are the vibes that you get when you go to the grounds and just when you're inside the stadium, win, defeat, draw? What what, what are your emotions? Because you talk about the word emotion a lot throughout this podcast. I, I I look upon St. James's Park as a cathedral, if you excuse. It's probably a bit of a cliche, I know. But I always look at it that way. Why? Because of its sheer size. Um, particularly since they rebuilt the, 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 the Jackie Milburn stand. It's enormous. And it's location in the centre of the city. I mean, when I started doing this job and we would do Newcastle stories way back in the, you know, the back end of the night, I unfortunately only started my job right at the end of the Kevin Keegan era, which was a shame. He was, he was a few weeks away from leaving at the time. But we'd, we'd go up and we'd do these stories and you would almost want every single time to get up get up in that car park over in Gateshead, you know the one, it's not there anymore, and get a shot of St. James's Park from the other side of the river. It was like, that. I want that shot. Whatever else I do, let's go and get that shot again. It's a nice, sunny day. And the reason, I, the reason I say that is because that's sort of how I have always thought of the place. It is this thing on the top of the hill, and the whole city looks up to it, um, which, which, which is, no, is, mo- is no small thing. I, I remember the first time I went, um, one of my favourite memories of St James's Park still was when Shearer scored in front of the Gallagates when Newcastle beat Chelsea, 2004. Yeah, and he oh, smashes it in from twenty. Yes, and smashes it in from twenty-five yards. And that would, if you said, if you said, give me one memory of St James's Park, I'd say that I was there. I was there then, saw that, and then interviewed him after the game. That's. Even he was impressed, I think. Um, <laughs> a moment like that, and that, and you, and you know, you see the whole Gallagher head just explode as that ball smashes in the top corner. That's that's what it's all about. When you talk about emotion, that's what it's all about. But I love the ground. I love the ground. I'm. Uh, I mean, another reason why doing the Newcastle story meant something to me is because, and I'm not saying it because of you guys. I have a lot of respect for the club, the size of the club, the importance of the club to a city which I like. You know, the, all of all of these elements, when you go to the job, I'm going to watch a big team play. I know we can discuss the whys and wherefores of now, but it's still a big club. 
and it's 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 a big club. It's a one club city, and you you have that feeling when you go to a place like that. Well, that's two out of three of us as well that have interviewed Alan Shearer as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, he hasn't, but I have. But, um, <laughs> when 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 you come up to um, a legend such as Alan Shearer, I'm sure you've well, you've had post match with other Premier League legends, but. Yeah. Alan Shearer is the all-time record goal scorer. How how do you kind of how do you approach him? Because that that was my nervy moment yeah. when I was yeah. That's see your point. Okay, what I would say, to, all I would say to that is, is I'm fortunate enough to interview a lot of these people more than once. Mm. So therefore, when you do it the first time, that is unique because you are aware that you're doing it for the first time. You can't. Whatever you try and do, you can't get that thing out of your head that you're speaking to Wayne Rooney, maybe the first time I interviewed Wayne Rooney or even Arsene Wenger or Ferguson or any of these people for the first time. And you have to sort of ride that element of, um, I don't know what you'd call it really. It is a unique time because it never feels the same again when you do it the second time. You have to go over that threshold the first time with them. If only to sense, like I said with Thomas Tuchel or any of the managers, What's coming back? What's in their eyes when they're listening to your question, when they're answering your question? It's, it's a one-off experience that you go through, and whoever it is, you, you, then, then, you're, then, you're, then you're off and running the next time you speak to them. It's never quite, it never quite feels the same after that. One day, one day I'll get that opportunity. One day. One day. day. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Hopefully, I'll just have to keep trying. Um, Greg, what has been the proudest moment in your career so far? Uh, speaking to you guys and doing the Newcastle documentary. What's been the proudest? I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's something that can only be can be answered when you've finished and you're doing other things. Perhaps. What I would say is, I've been lucky enough to be at certain situations that, that are unforgettable. Um, the Aguero moment at Manchester City. I was there in the tunnel that day. And you never forget something like that. That is that is utterly, utterly unique. We talk about emotion, the emotion of that moment, thinking like everybody did in that stadium, that they've blown it again. They've gone and done a Manchester City again, and it's got away from them right when it looked like it was in their grasp. And then lo and behold, we all know what happened after that. And the, the, I swear the concrete shook when Aguero scored. It was it was incredible. And to be doing, I mean, I've done what I've done for quite a long time, but those moments are very few and far between. I, I also worked at um, uh, the 4-1 England-Holland at Wembley in, in 96. Oh. And as time goes on, as time goes on, you realise what, what, how special it was to have actually been there. You don't know it at the time, because you think that's going to happen next year as well, but it doesn't. Those sort of moments only come almost almost like once every 10-year things, really. So, proud is... I've worked on the Premier League for 10 years. I'm proud of that, because it's it's in my small head, it's it is an element of achievement. It is something to look back on, whatever happens. Um, but it's those moments that you remind yourself you were there for those. And that, that, that's a privilege. That's a privilege. Oh, England four, Holland one. Johnny, you too. You were born, <laughs> you were born too late. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, so what happened, Johnny? Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, this, this is the thing, right? So like, I was six or so, Euro 96. Newcastle had just nearly won the league, followed by Euro 96 followed by Newcastle signing Alan Shearer for a world record fee. I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. And then Keegan goes and, you know. Yeah, yeah. When we were making the documentary, I, I was trying to be a bit – I had it in my head at one point that, that the story really obviously starts with Keegan's arrival and probably should end with the fact that Newcastle miss out at the end of 96. But, of course, to do so, you're, you're, you're ruling out the arrival of Shearer and the 5-0. So it was really how to do that. And in the end, and I, I must give my credit, my editor a lot of credit for this, because we sort of worked at that and thought, how do we carry the emotion to include Alan's arrival, which was a massive thing at the time, and then the fight, and you, you know, you can't ignore the five nil. What was what? What an amazing afternoon of football that was! And even though it wasn't within the sort of 
territory that you were trying to do, you had to, you, you couldn't exclude it. So it was how to how we sort of managed that sort of up and down and kept the roller coaster of emotion going. And in a way, it sort of worked because, of course, to everyone's memory, including mine, no sooner had that happened, and you're thinking Newcastle back to their best, blah da 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 da, Kevin's gone, and you knew that that was the end of an era there and then. I can remember, I can remember the day he left. Uh, 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 I can remember where I was when I heard the news on the radio and straight away thought, it's the end of an era. Whatever happens now, it'll never be the same. And it, and, and it wasn't, of course. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully one day we'll get something similar. It might not be the same, but hopefully one day we get something mm. very, sure, very similar. Sure. But well, It's a big enough club. It's a big enough club, isn't it? I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but clubs like Leeds, like Aston Villa, dare I say it, like Newcastle <laughs> United, like Everton, are still big enough clubs to make a real difference at that at that end. And and they are the clubs who are in the best place, with the right people behind them, I grant you, to challenge the the elite, as we call them, to challenge the top six. Those are the next those are still the next in line, I think, over a longer period of time. Not Villa. Not Villa. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not Villa. Oh, nice. I feel like I feel like both of you agree that Villa shouldn't be in this conversation. I just don't think Greg wants to say it properly. <laughs> no, no, no. Credit where they do. I thought they had a good. They were, I think they were good. I'm not. I'm no Villa fan. I've never been a Villa fan by any stretch of the imagination. Believe <laughs> you me. But a credit where it's due. They had a good season last season and played some nice football as well. To be fair. Just a quick question about the Premier League next season. Just before we wrap things up, Greg. Um, obviously, you, you, you say you've been working on the Premier League for ten years, and you can still get the same mm. buzz. Um, mm. Why is it the best league in the world? Why is it? The best to, to cover because it, it just it just seems for an outsider that only can see a little bit of the inside. It's mm. just incredible because nothing anything could happen. I think I think one of the first things I would one of the things that immediately springs to mind is the quality of the manager that, that the Premier League attracts because the Premier League has this reputation for being the toughest, the most competitive. Every top manager thinks I need to have a go at this. I need to I need to experience this. My CV needs to have the Premier League on it. That's fabulous. So we may not always, I mean, we get great players. We get great players. But we may not always get the greatest players. Messi may never play in the Premier League, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's un very unlikely that Ronaldo will come back. Or any of these, or Mbappe, any, you probably feel they won't necessarily come. But we will get the very best managers in the world come here. And that, that's, not been, that's not been lost on me. When you turn around and you've got Guardiola, Klopp, Tuchel, all of these guys competing against one another on our doorstep, we shouldn't take that for granted. Hey, Messi's available on a free, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I, must admit, I must admit, was it this time last year, there was talk of him going to Manchester City, wasn't there? When he fell out with Barcelona and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a circus like we have never seen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been fascinating to say at least. Well, I'll tell you what has been oh, fascinating. Yeah. I'll tell you, it has been fascinating as this, been, as this interview. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure Sam. No, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Yep. Greg, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about all things Newcastle and the entertainers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Sam's just going to have a little smile when he finishes and just going, oh, this is fantastic <laughs> talking about the good old days. But uh, Sam, where can everybody get this podcast from? Available on all podcast outlets. Please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you. And if you're watching this on YouTube, the previous episodes are on the uh, description. So check out the others. Fantastic. Well, for myself, Sam Mulner and Sky Sports reporter Greg Whelan, we'll see you all very, very soon.